Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. And last time we covered the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we've been covering the parables of Jesus, uh, very powerful. Uh, Jesus steps up his teaching, he ramps it up, and he starts to use these stories, and he draws people into the parables, and it's just really a great way to teach. And this morning, we're going to be in the parable of the persistent friend, although we're actually going to be in a compilation of three different parables. Parable of the persistent friend, easy for me to say, right? (laughs) The parable of the widow and the judge, and the parable of the good father. And what they all do is they exemplify what prayer is. And you may say, so Pastor Joe, what is prayer? Especially you can come from different Christian denominations and have different ideas of what prayer is. However, I choose to go to the scripture to get my answers and what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. But prayer is basically conversations with God. It's very simple. We're talking to God. We're communing with him. We're trying to learn his wisdom. We're sharing our heart with him. And I'm going to use a term called legalist because the legalist put a damper on everything beautiful that God sets up. So the legalist is this type of person. It could be a churchy type of person that's always, you know, kind of putting your fire out, you know, telling you you have to do it this way or you have to do it my way. And that's really sad because it takes the joy out of something beautiful, such as praying to God. And everybody prays differently, you know? And and just like we're all unique and we have conversations with each other, God is a person. God desires a relationship with us. He doesn't desire something that's rote and stale and lifeless. So that's the, the beautiful thing about prayer. I will say this, that if you are a Christian, you pray. Am I going to put a time limit? Does the Bible put a time limit on it? Absolutely not. But you really can't be a Christian if you're not praying. Again, it's it's not about time limits. It's about a relationship with God. Now, that's a, a very poignant statement, but if you look at Ephesians 5, the Bible says that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. He died for us, his wife, collectively. And not praying is like kind of being married and never speaking to your spouse. Days go by, weeks, months, makes no sense. So when we start to put the relational aspect together, we get a better picture of what Jesus says about prayer and what's really going on here. And we're going to take this in four parts. And you know what? Some of you may leave this building. This is what I love about the way I was taught to teach is the application phase. Some of you may leave this building in your car and the drive home and just say, Well, keep your eyes on the road, but (laughs) don't close them. But Lord, is is this true? As I'm talking to you, I don't know you, the pastor, and you you might find it actually very refreshing that you can have conversations with God and know that he's listening to you. So let's jump in in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray, 
as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the first out of four is the antecedent or the event that led up to all this. A disciple sees Jesus praying, and he says, teach us to pray. He didn't say, teach us to be theologians. He didn't say, teach us to be mighty preachers. He said, teach us to pray. Now, I'm not going to cover this in great depth, because when I went into the Gospel of Luke, I covered this very deeply. But I'm going to touch on it and go into the main focus of the parables. So jumping in as well, a few things. Prayers are not as much memorized in this particular instance as their mnemonic, uh, a, a memory device. So Jesus used this template, this pattern of a prayer, and we look at the elements to it. And there's an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, easy to remember. A stands for adoration and praise. He's God. Of course we should praise him. Right? C for confession. You know, we've sinned. We all sin. We're sinners. We sin every day. Sometimes, like, well, for me, at the end of the day, I just talk about things and where I might have fallen short, and I ask them for forgiveness. T for Thanksgiving. We can all be thankful for something. We all made it here this morning, didn't we? <laughs> and S for supplication. Yeah, the asking for stuff usually goes at the end, although a lot of people put it in the front, and that's their whole prayer is just S, okay? And it really is a reflection of our heart. We learn a lot about ourselves when we pray. But verse 1, one of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. So what was so attractive? Watching the Son of God praying to the Father. Well, probably it was genuine, not showy. You can think about things that you see today. It was confident, not feckless. It was relational, not a technique or a gimmick. It was conversational, not repetitive. Now again, you know, today in America we have really thousands of denominations and all kinds of pseudo-religions and such. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7 to his disciples, to his followers, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do, the ungodly, the unsaved. Don't keep repeating stuff, <laughs> you know. He says, for they think they will be heard by their many words. In, in cults and, and different pseudo-religions, there's these mantras as even in Eastern religion, that you say something over, it's a mantra. You work yourself into an altered state of consciousness. But it's honestly, it's demonic. You're not praying to God. It's almost like saying to God, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? Well, can we get to the next point? You know what I'm saying? So Jesus himself said, we, we don't repeat things over and over again. We talk to him. In Matthew 6, parallel scripture, Jesus says, pray in this manner or in this way. It's a pattern. And here when he says say, he's not saying repeat. If you look in the original language, it means lay forth or relate this to God. Again, there's, there's a pattern, there's elements to this. Briefly, our Father. I don't say my Father. We say our Father. He's all of our Father. We're His children. And it's a, a familial perspective check. Right? It speaks for itself. My biological father passed away almost three years ago. But my heavenly father is with me every single day and into eternity. 
who art in heaven, perspective. He's from above. You know, Jesus spoke when he came down to the earth. He says, I came from there. He expresses things that happened or that we should be doing or things that, that, that will come because he came from heaven to this earth. Hallowed be thy name. God is holy. He's set apart. Respect. Boy, are we losing respect in our society even for each other? This is not... You know, people, they, they think, until they go on a missions trip, they have this idea of third world countries, and they're backwards, and they're poor, and this and that, until somebody actually goes on a missions trip and sees, well, these people are poor, but they're happy. They're content. And we come over here, and we have everything, and a lot of Americans are unhappy. I think it's, a lot of it is because we're being distracted from God. Even Christians are being pulled away. There's those forces of darkness trying to remove us from that intimate fellowship with the Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a future occurrence, but as believers, we desire it to come soon. We long for God's kingdom. No more corrupt politicians. <laughs> a few groans there. Uh, he speaks about our daily bread. It's a step-by-step, day-by-day walk with the Lord. It's a daily provision. Now, in some cultures, they literally pray for their literal daily bread. Because they're poor, they pray for sustenance, for God to provide. Um, but we, there's also a spiritual element to that. My daily filling of, of spirituality, my daily contact with the Lord. Right? Forgive us as we forgive others. It's extremely important. I'm going to actually table this because we're going to cover a parable in the next few weeks on forgiveness. We're going to talk all about forgiveness. But God expects us to forgive. He's forgiven us of our sins. We've trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. All of those sins that we committed and all the sins that we will commit, God forgave us of those sins. We take on Christ's identity. You know, he cleanses us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, this world is full of snares and landmines. You now, every so often I hear or I read, or I find out about, even in ministry, um, someone who just stepped on a landmine. And, uh, you know, they're out, and they're being shelved, or they're, they were deceived into thinking something looked good, and they engaged in it, and they fell. It doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness, but it does mean that there are the traps set all around us. And, and we need to, you know, Lord, is this good? Is this right? Am I being deceived here? Again, it's a relationship. I love talking to God. It's, it's, it's great. So Jesus does this. He gives instructions. Then he shares a parable to reinforce the understanding of prayer. Verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So eventually he's going to get up because the guy keeps knocking on the door and keeps calling out to him. He's being very persistent. Verse 9, and I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. So the second out of the four is the parable of the persistent friend. 
Now, in this parable, way back when, and maybe still in that particular area of the world, especially in poorer cultures, you know, there wasn't a room for everything, living room, dining room, kitchen, you know, bedrooms. You were, sometimes you just had one room, and it was a bed, and everybody slept on the same bed. And in addition to that, probably because of theft, they would bring their livestock and their animals into the house. My wife is laughing back there because she's an animal lover. I can see after this, when we go home, she's going to say, can we live biblically? You know? <laughs> she wants to bring her old mare into the house. I'm like, babe, she's going to break the floors. She's big. So, Okay, the point is, though, that the, the friend would have had a just, everything would have had to been you know, an uproar for him to get up and wake the kids and the animals are making noises. I love Jesus' stories because there's so much to it. And, and everybody could understand what he was talking about. didn't matter of your education level. That's the beautiful thing about the parables. He's trying to make a point. And the point is persistence. And the, the method or the, the, the style that Jesus uses is he argues from the lesser to the greater. Obviously, the friend in bed is the lesser. And he's going to get up because his friend is persistent. And because in that culture, hospitality was very important. There were all these reasons why his friend was going to get out of bed. So that's the lesser. He argues from the lesser to the greater, the greater being God. And God, because he's full of love and compassion and because he loves his children and he's good, he wants to answer those prayers. And what Jesus does in these parables, in, in our minds, he makes all these connections because Jesus created the mind. He created the body, created the brain. So it's amazing, and I even see in, in law enforcement, being in law enforcement for 25 years, our field training, how we train young officers, you can go back to the scripture and say, wow, we use a lot of the stuff that Jesus used, bringing people out into the field, debriefing them, sending back out and retraining them until you get a product that you're looking for. Very impressive. People don't even realize that they're using the techniques that work that Jesus used thousands of years ago. Good stuff. Now, one thing we can't do with the parables is decipher and assign meaning to every one of the symbols, especially this one. In other words, God is not the one in bed falling asleep and has to be persuaded to get up to the door. You know, some people do that. They look for a, a, a meaning in every piece of symbolism in the parables, and you can't do that. It gets, it gets murky. It gets confusing. Um, the friend is also reluctant to help because of his... his his position at, at that point in time. You know, I'm, I'm tired. Everybody's in bed. I'm not getting up. What we do have to understand is that persistence means everything in this parable. Why is persistence important? You know, the, the person who's antagonistic to the things of God may say, well, God playing head games with us? Why does he want us to keep asking? You know, is he trying to get something out of us? No, the answer is, because God's a relational God. God wants a relationship with his children. See, God's not a genie in the bottle like the old uh, cartoon where you want something and you dig up, you move everything out of the closet. Oh, there's the bottle. Rub it, the genie comes out. Can I get my three wishes? Okay, now go back in the bottle. Let me put you back in the closet till the next time I need you. God is not a genie in the bottle. He's not going to lower himself to that. He wants a relationship with us. He wants an ongoing relationship. Now, so I'm going to mix in a few things in here. Why do we struggle sometimes with prayer? 
A, because we don't sense God with our senses, our five senses, right? When we talk to another human being, there's sight, there's hearing, there's smell, there's touch. When we talk to God, we experience none of these because it's not a bodily exercise. It's not of the, of the soma or the sarks in Greek. It's the penuma. It's something completely different. This is a spiritual exercise. Therefore, the flesh gets bored. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand because I'm very transparent from the pulpit. I don't come up here trying to pretend I'm something I'm not. Sometimes when I pray, I get sleepy, especially when I'm laying in bed and it's dark because my flesh wants to go to bed. But my spirit needs to, to relate to God. And there's like a war that goes on inside of us. And let me tell you something else. We live in an instant gratification culture that's antithetical to the things of God. I actually read, they did studies, and they found that in social media, you know, if you put up a post and somebody hits like, and then you come back in an hour and you have 50 likes, according to the studies, these brain studies, you get a dopamine response. That's the pleasure chemical in the brain. Yeah, did you know that? <laughs> you put up something witty, and 50 people say, oh, you're so smart, boom, dopamine. You put up a picture of yourself on Snapchat. Oh, you're so beautiful, or you're so handsome, or you look so great in that outfit. Boom, dopamine response. So our flesh wants to be gratified. But it's different with the spirit. So people, some give up, and they don't have that persistence. The beautiful thing about God is that God can orchestrate things in your life. He can change things. He can change us for the better, our character, our relationships. But it's not instant. So a lot of people abandon it. And i got to say, some in the Christian culture as well. And it's sad. Another thing that we can look at is going deeper is our flesh being antagonistic to the things of prayer. Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, wrote a book, and it's a small book. I suggest you get it. It's like a few, a few dollars. It's called Effective Prayer Life. And when I read this book a few years into my Christianity, I felt relieved because I thought, I'm such a, I'm not a good Christian. I'm not, you know. And then I, I read what this guy says, and boy, the transparency. And he spoke about putting a pen and paper near where he was praying because the flesh will always remind you of something you wanted to remember for the past week. While you're praying, bing, it comes to mind. So he would just jot it down real quick and go back to praying. <laughs> so it's amazing, isn't it? Um, sometimes, you know, I know for me, I'm a, I'm a fixer. I have a little workshop in my, in my garage, and I fix things around my house. And my wife thinks I can fix everything. She just gives me broken stuff. And, um, and then I'm kind of like in my mind thinking about how to fix something. And then I kind of leave it alone. I go to prayer, and all of a sudden in my mind, the answer comes on how to fix this thing. So I have an image in my mind, and sometimes I might be weird, but there's an image in my mind, and I'll open one eye to look at the floor to bring me back to reality. I'm in this room, and I'm praying. Like, to try to take the distractions away. I'm just trying to help you out here. You know what I'm saying? Listen, the flesh and the spirit war against each other, and it happens inside of us. We're dual nature. We used to be just the flesh until we were born again of the spirit, we still unfortunately have the flesh with its cravings and its urges and its desires, but we're also now new creatures. There's a spiritual element. 
There was a meme and somebody said, if you think Christianity is easy, you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> I really like that one. So before we finish up, let's jump into another parable. If we could turn to Luke 18. Starting with verse 1. This is the parable of the woman and the judge. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Little subtle nuance over here. Saying there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And in the Roman world, there were some, well, in the American world, <laughs> there were some corrupt judges that just, they had their agenda. And they were in a position, and this woman who's got nothing, she's a widow, you know, she comes to him and, and he, she, he, you know, she would be dismissed. And this would happen. But she just kept coming before him in his court. And he thought to himself, I'll just give her what she wants because she's constantly wearing against me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It's powerful. Third out of four is the parable of the widow and the judge. Persistence, yes, but a subtle nuance. He says right in the beginning, the Lord, praying that we would not lose heart or give up. The widow is persistent. She, she has an active characteristic, but more important, she didn't give up. She didn't have that negative characteristic of being passive. Let me say this another way, and it, again, it reminds me of a circle. It comes full circle. You can be persistent. I mean, I, I study warfare, ancient cultures, European, United States, you know, World War I, World War II, all these battles. And you can have an army that's very persistent. And they're taking ground a little bit at a time. But the, the battle goes on for hours and sometimes for days. And they're persistent. But at some time, the commander just makes a decision and says, all right, I don't know where, if we're really realizing our goal here. And they quit. And historians will look back and say, if they, would have pres if they wouldn't have given up, they would have won that battle. And it might have changed the tide of the war, or maybe they would have won it earlier. It's very interesting. You say, well, Pastor Joe, you're saying, no, I'm not saying the same thing, because you can be persistent, and then kind of, it just expires. It just... But Jesus is saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Are you hearing me, brothers and sisters? Don't give up persistence, not losing heart. Galatians 6, 9, one of my favorite scriptures. Now, why does God put these things in the scripture? Because they happen. Because he knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our, our sometimes sinful nature um, in his situation or our frailty. And Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It's always too soon to quit. Right? It's too soon. Keep going. Have that persistent. 
Now, this is a shocker to some, but prayer, a lot of people think, even in the Christian culture, prayer is to change God. You know, there's a whole prosperity gospel that teaches, basically, just be greedy little children, right? And just keep pestering your Heavenly Father for things that you want. A lot of times, prayer is to actually change us, not to change God. See, the more we're in communion, the more we're in fellowship with God, we start to understand His will. And again, it's it's a cultural thing. It isn't all about our will. A lot of times we go, I mean, how many people pray for character? Or to help me love that person more, because they're really getting on my nerves. Do we pray for humility? Do we pray for patience? These are the things that we need to look at. Receiving wisdom, God's Holy Spirit, and His will. Let's go back to Luke 11. It's interesting, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? Things are going to get worse and worse. And, and you hear the pundits, and they speak about how America is becoming a, cro- a post-Christian nation, how even in Europe it's becoming post-Christian. You know, um, part, many other parts of the world where cr- Christianity is flourishing, but they're being martyred. And Jesus said, you know, when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? That's, sca- that's sad. And, and, and if you look at the human condition, if you look at what the UN is dealing with, if you look at what, what the UN is kind of turning a blind eye to, all the suffering, all the skirmishes, all the wars, all the starvations, and the United Nations, every nation gets together. Are we solving anything? But, but you say something about Jesus Christ, and they'll, they'll laugh you out of their hall. But they're not fixing it, and it's just getting worse. All the money, all the brainiacs coming together can't fix suffering of humankind. But Christ can, but he's being shut out. Will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? Folks, we have to be that that light that's still in the world. As the world spiritually gets darker and darker, we need to be that light that shines because our culture is not teaching it. It's not propagating it. So Luke 11, and I'll read some of the, I'll read 9 again, continuing on repeating this, and I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives. And Now, everyone who asks, receives, do you know what though? We don't always receive the answer that we want. Let me just give that little caveat there. And I'm going I'm to touch on that. Everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds. If you're seeking for the Lord, you will find him with a whole heart, Jeremiah says. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, curveball, to those who ask him? Four out of four is the parable of the good father. It's obvious God would not give us something harmful. He gives us what's good. But do we always know what is good for us? Now, unfortunately, I said this last Sunday, so forgive me, I'm going to repeat myself. But I'm thankful that in 25 years of being a Christian and praying, that there's probably thousands of prayers that the Lord did not answer. 
Now, at the time, I really wanted him to, and sometimes I got annoyed that he didn't an answer them the way I asked them. But in hindsight, I realized he did that for my benefit because I was asking for a serpent, and I didn't realize it. I thought I was asking for a fish. You see, this is why we, we, some don't want to come to the cross. They don't want to come forward because you're giving away your trust to somebody. But it's not a somebody, another sinner. It's to your Father in heaven. We put all this together. Let me just go quickly through a list of why prayers don't get answered because I get this question a lot. Number one, because we're asking for a serpent or a stone and we don't realize it and it's harmful to us. And if God answered all of those prayers that I would have asked for early on, I probably wouldn't be here as your pastor. You know? Two, we're not asking for the things in accordance with God's will or His character. Some of the things we might be asking in our ignorance is contradictory to God's Word. Three, here's, here's one, and I, I, and I go through the marriage ceremony. Uh, I threw a lot of Scripture in there. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands don't, who don't treat their wives properly will have their prayers hindered. Now, in the first few years of our marriage, I, I come from divorced parents, but I can't use that as an excuse. I wasn't a very good husband. And I know that there were prayers that didn't get answered because I was a jerk. I'm just going to say it. And my wife will probably, she's laughing. She's got her hand up back there. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Hindered prayers, not God's fault, not her fault, my fault. You want, to, you want to stay single? Be as selfish as you want. You want to get married? Consider your spouse. Very simple. I, I kind of like have the mentality that Jesus says. It's just, I don't have time to waste or words to waste. Just tell it like it is. I, I say, you know, young couples, and it's pretty neat. Uh, fourth thing, Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. Persistent and a willful lifestyle of sin, blocking prayers. God's not going to be a party to sinful behavior. He's not going to be, you know, coming along for the ride to the party when we're doing sinful things. So if we are in a persistent pattern of sin or we're engaging in a sinful whatever, that doesn't mean that we, we don't repent and say, Lord, bail me out. And he's done that. But if we just want to go our own way and, and throw caution to the wind, oh, he didn't answer my prayers. Okay, well, that's the fourth reason. Fifth one, Lack of persistence. Lack of persistence. When we look at this ask, knock, in the Greek it's called a continuous verb. It means keep on asking, keep on seeking. Lack of persistence. Treating God like He's a genie in the bottle or putting Him in a closet in our proverbial houses just opening the door when we need something. God's not going to lower Himself to that situation. I've heard many times a person says, I prayed and nothing happened. <laughs> I prayed, meaning once, and nothing happened. Lord, you know, this is my situation. And, and the attitude is, is, if you don't come, you know, prove yourself. If you don't come down here right now and fix the situation, then I'm done with you. That's on you. It's not on the Lord. How many of us actually ask, as Jesus says here, for more of the Holy Spirit in prayer. We should be. Probably if we took a, a poll of the Western Christian culture and it was anonymous so people would answer honestly. <laughs> you know, how many of you want a bigger house? How many of you want a newer car? How many of you want this? Versus how many Christians are actually asking for the Holy Spirit? 
Can I tell you something? When you're in ministry, you better be asking for the Holy Spirit. Because when you, when you and man, ministries collapse left and right. When you're not asking, you're going in a, in a, in a, a situation where you're doing it, you're, you're becoming a humanist. You're doing it through your own strength and your own will. I need the Holy Spirit. You know, when I first read that, that kind of, it was like throwing cold water on my face. Wow. Out of all the things anybody could have asked for, that's the one prayer that Jesus focuses in on. Again, are we asking for character? Are we asking for humility? Are we asking for love? We often also ask when it comes to a tension situation or a relational issue, change that person. Sometimes God wants us to change. Maybe that person will never change. But maybe we can learn to be more patient, more loving. You know, and this is the thing, we don't know. We, a lot of these things, we, we, why, Lord, why, why? All the whys. Hopefully at the end, when we go to be with him, he'll have the, the why room. Everybody walk in, look around. There's all your, your, all your whys that you asked down there. They're answered over here. I don't know, but God knows. What is prayer? Conversing, talking, communing, fellowshipping with God. Jesus taught us the pillars of prayer to be persistent and to not give up, to have equals, to have a relationship with God. And that's great. You know, some people are like, well, I'm religious, or I, I do these rote rituals. That's wonderful, but that's not what God's looking for. You know, God wants your heart. He wants your he wants your essence, you know, but he's not going to force it upon you. And I just, I'm going to say this too, and being more transparent from the pulpit, my prayers are not marathons. I don't pray for an hour at a time or hours at a time. Shocker. You know, my prayers are just consistent throughout the day. I'm driving in the car, I'm praying. Usually when I'm alone, you know, it's great. No distractions except for people on the road cutting me off. But, uh... <laughs> You know, I'm praying in the car. I, I pray from outside, walk in. You know, my street is a, it's a quiet street. You know, my, I have like bite-sized prayers throughout the day. The legalist will say, you must pray for an hour. <gasps> what if I forget? What if I run out of things to say? That's the legalist. Where does it say that in the Bible? Again, the legalist takes the joy and the fun out of worshiping God away from you. Okay. The legalist will also say, you heard this one, if you pray, you have to be on your knees. Some people have bad knees. Some people have bad backs. The Jews in the Old Testament would pray with their hands toward the heavens. It's kind of cool. I like that. Uh, in the New Testament, there were many, and if you pray on your knees, that's awesome. I don't criticize that. Just stop telling other people what to do if it's not in the Scripture. A.W. Tozer, if you're familiar with him, great evangelist, um, author, Christian author, he would pray, he would pray like face down on the floor with his, with his arms spread out. Prostrate, they call that. God bless him. My neck would give me, <laughs> my neck I think would hurt me, but this is the way he prayed. And that's awesome. And also my prayers are different depending on the situation. You know, God loves me. He knows that sometimes I go to pray and I'm really not in a great mood. Sometimes my prayers are pleading. Sometimes they're intercessory. Sometimes they're grumpy. I'm just honest with you. Oh, Lord, this situation, when is it going to... Uh, grumpy prayers. But I'm respectful and He loves me. Intercessory prayers, thank you prayers, rejoicing prayers. Just a short one I want to shoot up. Oh, Lord, you really... Did. 
Oh, there's no words. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but we live in a very hurried society, and a lot of times prayer in the Christian culture is the first thing on the chopping block, which is a problem. You know, we start running ahead of God. You know, I, I, even, even people that, that counsel, you know, or, or marriages, and I'm like, well, how much time are you devoting to the Lord? Are you praying? Are you seeking His will? Well, no, we, we have this to do, and, and I hear this with couples. Like this, that, 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 that. Well, there's your answer. You just answered it for yourself. You know, put that time in with God. Seek Him. It's like that analogy when a, a husband and wife or two, maybe two BFFs, you know, they're both kind of getting closer to God, and what are they doing? They're getting close to each other as they're getting close to God. It works. It happens. Same thing in the church. Some have the, the idea, oh, it's just a prayer event. I've gone to many different churches, and I've heard this. Oh, it's a prayer event tonight. I'm going to stay home. Well, then if there's problems in the church and there's nobody praying, well, there you have your answer as well. You know, and we try to have these prayer venues at our church, women's, men's, uh, corporate, um, you know, every ministry leader and his staff prays, you know, I pray in my office before we come out here because it's, it's important. It's very important. I'm just going to leave you with something because I love application. I love to see the scripture just come off the pages and end up in our hearts and, and we start doing things with it. I think it was Friday or Saturday. I'm looking at the forecast. I hate snow. <laughs> but I hate snow less on a Monday or Tuesday than on a Saturday when service is the next day because then I got to, you know, the leadership, we have to discuss it. You know, should we open the door? Should we, da, 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 all this kind of stuff. So there was a storm that was supposed to come in on Saturday and Saturday night and Sunday morning. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so I put on our Facebook, if, you, if you're not on it, we do a lot of instant messages on uh, the church group, Facebook group. So I put on there to, to the congregation, whoever's on there, please pray for the situation because I'm going to talk about prayer on Sunday and I think it's really, really important that as many people hear it as possible. So like, we don't want to call service if it's a dud. Uh, we don't want to try to get people to come out if it, the conditions are bad and then there's like you know five people in the church and that's great. Five people hear a message on prayer. That's awesome. But this was one of those messages where I really wanted everybody to hear it. And it was amazing. Everybody was praying. And look what happened. <laughs> you know, they've been... You know, I want to be a meteorologist. You can be, yeah, you could be wrong 90% of the time and still make good money. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move into that field. I don't know. But, but the cool thing is you can't control God. You can't control the weather. You can try to predict the weather, but you can be wrong a lot. I love God. He's just so, he's so not like us. But here, but here was a, a, a real example, speak a pragmatic, a real example about what I'm talking about Friday and Saturday, you all prayed, and I guess his will was to have it and have a bunch of people show up. Amen? Amen. So, taking it all together, persistent prayer, not giving up, right? Trusting the Lord, understanding that we're not always going to get the answer that we want. Sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's, it's a not now, you know? Um, my, my son is old enough where I can give him tools. Like I don't, you know, all these tools. I do a lot of things. But at three years old, I wouldn't give him a really sharp knife because the obvious. But maybe 
eight years later, I would give him a really sharp knife because I know he can handle it. And sometimes we ask for that really sharp knife that could do really a lot of neat things, but we're going to hurt ourselves with it. You know, fire is great. You could do a lot of things with fire, but when you're a kid, it's mesmerizing and you want to put your hand in it. So you keep your kids away from the fire when they're little. But 12, 13 years later, maybe they can make a fire in the backyard and, you know, contained by all the laws of the township. <laughs> but but we're, we're the same way. You know, we ask for stuff. And, and sometimes God says, not now. And sometimes it's 10 years down the road. And you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, 10 years ago, I really would have messed. You know everything. You're so smart. So as we close in prayer, let's just take into consideration everything that we've learned. And you know what? Why don't we practice it on the way home? Practice it when we're alone. And if, if you're here and you've never been exposed to Christianity, or maybe it's different throughout the scripture than what you've seen, you know what? Pray to God. He hears you. So let's, let's work on getting close to our Father in heaven and have that relationship with the relational God. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.